the best-selling compliance handbook by compliance evangelist and compliance podcast network founder tom fox has been updated revised and improved in its new second edition this new podcast series will build upon the best nuts and bolts compliance handbook around to provide you the best information on implementing and enhancing a best practices compliance program this is Tom Fox, back for another episode of The Compliance Handbook. Today, I'm uh, extraordinarily pleased to have with me Philip Winterberg. Philip is one of the co-founders of Conversant, and we're going to take a journey both with Philip on his evolution in compliance, the evolution of Conversant, and what he's seen from his perspective uh, over the past uh, maybe 10 years or eight years or so. So, Philip, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thanks, Tom. I always enjoy our conversations, so looking forward to it. So, Philip, could you tell the audience about your professional background? Sure. So, um, I my degree is in pure mathematics, um, so I was a mathematician by training. I love math. I uh, came out of that and uh, really spent my most of my career applying technology to solve business problems in a variety of both consulting or in-house roles until uh, about nine years ago, uh, we had this vision for starting Conversant and uh, went on this journey to bring something different into the ethics and compliance world. Well, and that's uh, really what I wanted to visit with you uh, about next. Uh, you're a co-founder of Conversant. Uh, what was the vision you and Patrick had and how did you see Conversant as the vehicle to achieve your vision? Sure. Um, I think what we saw at that time was uh, a segment of business that was drastically underserved by technology and a segment of business, a profession that was going through its own rapid maturation. And so we saw this opportunity for um, bringing something new and different from what at that time were very tired very sort of corporate stodgy applications that were not really embracing how to engage people in an ethics and compliance program and were, were not considering the human element, the behavioral element of why people would engage with software. Uh, they were very sort of transactionally focused, very much about the, the ethics and compliance practitioner's role rather than the first line of defense. And so we saw an opportunity to really create technology that would enable the business itself to engage in ethics and compliance and uh, and go forward that way. So that's, that's why we really started Conversant and uh, have been on this journey to innovate and bring technology to the forefront within the ethics and compliance community. Uh, and you guys have one of the great uh, sort of uh, visionary statements, I think, that's been in compliance, which is driving ethics to the center of business. How did you come up with this phrase, or, or perhaps uh, even why did you develop the phrase? Uh, that's a great question. That was, uh, it was a body of work we did after about uh, two or three years in the industry. And um, we really wanted to be able to succinctly communicate what we were doing from a, a sense of purpose standpoint. Um, I, I'm a strong believer 
the high performing organizations, we might talk about this a little bit more later on, but high performing organizations have a strong sense of purpose that is shared within the organization along with a strong sense of values. And so we wanted to encapsulate our sense of purpose and uh, driving ethics to the center of business for a better world um, was what leapt off the page at us as we started to sort of drill into, and I won't say this happened immediately, <laughs> this, this was sitting in a room with a lot of whiteboards, but going through that exercise of how, how do we distill down, it's very easy to explain a company in several paragraphs, but how do you distill down what we were doing into a very succinct statement? And uh, this is what we came up with as a team. There was a group of us who put our heads together on this to actually just communicate that as much um, for our own employees as it was for you know external consumption. It was about creating that alignment and that North Star for the business to drive towards. Philip, one of the things that's uh, always intrigued me about your journey is you were one of the first people uh, who was able to meld the concepts of data and data analytics, but with uh, behavioral psychology. Uh, there were people who talked about data and the need for better data analytics and compliance. There was a nascent discussion about behavioral psychology, uh, but you were able to really meld those two together. Why do you see those two concepts, which uh, as really complementary and maybe even inter intertwined as a part of a compliance uh, regime? I think this is part of that. Um, what what we see is this this evolution or revolution that's occurring within ethics and compliance. Uh, I think in your in your book you refer to Dr. No from the Department of No and you know how we we're, we're moving beyond that. We've got to get out of that mentality. I think it's a great phrase. Um, but for me, it's about understanding that at the end of the day, ethics and compliance is about the people. Whether it's your employees, whether it's third parties, it's about humans and what people do in a moment. And that moment can be a moment of stress, a moment of opportunity, a moment of pressure, um, what they do in that moment. And, um, you know, there, there's, there's many people who focus on how do you catch, catch the bad guy. And uh, it's, uh, Kurt Drake was one that hammered into me very early on that his focus and, and the correct focus, and I agree with him, is actually how do we help the other 99.9% .9 of people who are actually good, solid human beings from straying across the line often without knowing it or because they're caught up in the heat of the moment. And so really at that point, it, to me, it, it created that hunger in me to understand the human mind and how it works and why do people make these decisions that frankly, if they stopped and thought and stepped back, they would actually make a different decision. And I, so I became a, a huge, uh, passionate uh, follower of behavioral science, uh, the work of Daniel Kahneman and others around nudge theory and so on. And how, how do you influence people? And first of all, why do people act the way they do? System one, system two thinking, we can talk about that for hours. But then um, how do you, how do you, if you're implementing a compliance and ethics program, just publishing the rules doesn't do anything. Just making someone sit through a training session doesn't really do anything. It's how do you make sure that people have ingested 
and consume that information to a point where it affects how they will behave because that is what you're trying to do at the end of the day. And so for me, the, the data side is something I've always been passionate about. Measurement is the only way to really understand what's happening. So having good metrics, good measurement, so you can identify areas of weakness, areas to apply change, and then track those trends. Then understanding human behavior becomes the, the what do you try and implement, right? How do you try and influence those people? And then using data again to measure the impact of those programs. So for me, that's why behavioral science, behavioral ethics, um, combined with rich analytics is really where we should be focusing our energies. Philip, uh, obviously you're not a lawyer, and so you don't have the baggage of legal training that many of us in the compliance community have. And I really, I've always enjoyed your uh, perspective on compliance from, from your own academic background and your professional background, but from the product creator perspective, how have you seen uh, compliance professionals, legally trained or not, really evolve over the past eight years? Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I, I actually, it's a, it's a, a secret that I've never actually shared, I think, publicly. But uh, in my younger days, I really wanted to get into the legal profession, um, and, but never did because of my passion for mathematics. I just followed that path. Um, so no, I do. I have I have no legal training, and uh, as you say, I'm unencumbered by that baggage. Or flip the other way, I I lack the insights that that would give me now. Um, but what I've seen in the evolution of ethics and compliance is part partly that that shift that we just talked about from just being concerned with what are the laws and are we breaking any of those laws or are we at risk of breaking any of those laws and ensuring that we are not going to be subject to um, sort of regulatory um, punishment from the DOJ or other oversight body, shifting away from that to really understanding that there is more to the puzzle than that, that there is the court of um, public opinion. And that court of public opinion will punish you overnight. It won't allow you to, to hire an army of lawyers to defend you in court. You won't get the time it takes to gather and create a case to defend your actions. You get punished in social media immediately, and you are very, it's very hard for you to defend yourselves. So the, the realization for me in that is it's more about not having a great PR firm to protect yourselves. It's actually about you have to be good through and through. You have to act with integrity in everything you do. So the ethics and compliance profession is seeing this evolution from being primarily concerned about the law to now being more concerned about business risk and business opportunity and human behavior within that. And so this, this, this shift from legal to business, from law to behavior is part of that sort of shift that I'm seeing in the compliance profession and seeing some of the you know, leading ethics and compliance, chief ethics and compliance officers, the, the visionaries who are coming into this, really bringing that business partnership mindset um, to the table. Philip, how uh, do you think the market has evolved in its thinking about risk management? You mentioned um, really the what I'm going to call the speed of social media and the potential reputational damage. Uh, how, uh, do you see the market responding uh, to those evolutions with new or different tools? I do. I think there's the market's responding to that. I think there's also um, 
uh, Asha Palmer would berate me if I didn't mention this because I know it's a hot topic for her. But I think this, this, um, the guidance and continued pressure to be risk-based in your program to do the risk assessments. Everyone speaks to it, but not everyone does it. And so really having the diligence and discipline to do risk assessments, um, to really understand where you have risk in your program, to build your program then around the results of that risk assessment and have that be an ongoing process um, so that you're looking at um, where to apply resources and being much more surgical about the application of resource than we have in the past, so thereby increasing our reach into the areas that need it. Um, and also this movement from, and, and I was very guilty of this in the early days of seeing risk um, management being about just risks, rather than flipping that around and seeing it to be about business opportunity. And I think that, that risk management is evolving into this business partnership, business opportunity um, role, where rather than just looking at risks, you're actually partnering with the business to assess where are we going, where can we go, what are the opportunities we can attack, and how do we go after them um, in the right way, rather than just can we do this from a legal perspective or not. What are two or three of the biggest changes you've seen in risk management, and, and perhaps you've given uh, the biggest one, which is the evolution of thinking uh, of risk as really a business opportunity, but are there other uh, changes you've seen as well over the past uh, eight, eight to five years? I, I think the other, the other one we should touch on briefly is the reputational risk. So it used to always be legal risk. I think reputational risk um, is probably the the should be the biggest concern that people have on the table at the moment. When you look at the amount, of the value that is placed on intangible assets now, um, which is all around your brand, your partnerships, your intellectual property, if your reputation is harmed, your company can be destroyed in a moment. And so reputational harm is something that people should absolutely have at the top of their list and understanding how to truly mitigate that. Because if you start to look at where, where is our reputation at risk, right? where can we reinforce our reputation? How do we create a culture within an organization that is truly aligned so that we don't have reputational risk? And I'm a strong believer of, I mentioned earlier, the sense of a common purpose. I also believe in a, set, a common set of values within an organization, that when people come to work, they are operating in a shared context. They are aligned to the same mission, and they operate in the same way that how they do their work is aligned to those values. The values are not just a poster on the wall. They're something that are imbued into the individuals. That is how you create an organization that can mitigate the overwhelming pressure you get from reputational risk. Could I turn now to Conversant and the evolution in products and perhaps services uh, that Conversant has had in this time frame? Uh, how has uh, Conversant evolved? And one of the things you talked about was was almost a dialogue with customers. How has that worked into the Conversant product evolution? So coming into um, this opportunity, when we started Conversant, uh, both Patrick and I are very frank about the fact we, we were not ethics and compliance professionals and uh, we were complete novices. We just saw the opportunity and as we talked to practitioners, the opportunity sort of expanded in our minds. And so 
everything that we've done at Conversant is really thanks to the great minds and thinking of the leaders in this profession. Um, many of those are our customers and our advisors who have partnered with us on this journey. In terms of the offerings that we provided, you know, we started with the classic helpline case management um, sort of core of every ethics program. Um, and we've evolved that in time. We added, you know, we added insights, the analytics, that, that idea of data being king. And we've, we've touched on that and the need for that, but then have evolved that through a variety of applications that are creating the ability to engage employees in the conversation. It's not just about reporting concerns. We've got disclosure management, we've got um, campaigns being run. We have our ethics and compliance portal, which is the most recent innovation of a fully digital online experience for your code, code of conduct. But more than that, it's the front door to your program. It's the manifestation of your program within your organization, combined with the ability to drive campaigns, drive people to pieces of it that they need, and very surgically, and then sitting that on top of the analytics, so understanding what people are looking at, what's germane to them, what questions are they asking of the, of the information, so that you can understand where there are gaps of knowledge. And so this evolution has started, we started in the world of you know, raising concerns and have a visibility to risk in the organization, to now having a platform that enables conversations, enables dialogue, drives engagement into the first line of defense, and creates visibility and alignment in that first line so that you're actually driving higher business performance. So it, it's for us, we've been on the same journey as the profession of going from the very much the regulatory world to now much more about business enablement and business outcomes um, through the application of the, the, the tools and the capabilities that we offer. Philip, uh, uh, I think most of the listeners that this podcast know of the recent uh, merger with of Conversant with OneTrust. And I wanted to ask you, really, how does this melding of Conversant into OneTrust um, uh, help or uh, move Conversant uh, forward as we move to a truly enterprise-wide risk, risk, uh, risk management solution? Absolutely, Tom. So one of the, you know, we, one of the things that I've seen happen in the last few years that I'm extremely passionate about is this movement towards stakeholder capitalism. And in 2019, we had the Business Roundtable sort of make that pronouncement of the redefinition um, into the, the five stakeholders. And that was very much aligned with our mission of driving ethics to the center of business. And we saw this, this, this sort of movement gathering steam. We've now got the World Economic Forum last year published um, the stakeholder capitalism metrics. Um, that are now trying to looking to create a standardized set of measurement to really measure the the ethical and compliance uh, performance of a business and, and moving it from just pure that that pure ethics and compliance into also ESG. So getting into environmental, social, and governments and, and the social aspect. Have we got you know equal pay? Um, diversity and those sorts of measurements and how can we standardize those and create transparency around them so people understand because we know consumers want to buy from good companies and employees want to work for good companies and so how do I actually get a, a clear understanding of those companies that I want to consume from and when you look at where OneTrust is about creating the trusted enterprise and, and that same um, sort of 
ecosystem, it's, it's the same mission as we're at. How do I, as an employee, know that I can trust my company? How do I work in a trusted enterprise? As a consumer, do I have trust of the, with the companies I'm buying from? So we saw a real synergy in terms of the journey we're on and the journey that OneTrust is on in terms of coming together to really fulfill that mission of driving forwards to create this trusted ecosystem of business and commercial enterprises that people can work for, partner with, consume from, and know that those companies aren't misbehaving, are protecting their data, um, are hiring people with fairly, are paying people equitably, um, are not dealing in human trafficking in their supply chain. So when you get into the third party risk area and just looking at what is going on in the suppliers that you're consuming from, but having trust in that whole network so that I can buy from you in confidence. And so I, I'm super passionate about it. One trust and the leadership team there are in, incredibly impressive. What they've achieved over the last five years is absolutely stunning. So to be a part of their journey now and to join that is, is just a wonderful outcome for Conversant and a great opportunity for both our employees, our team, also for our customers as we come together and really start to drive forward on this shared vision for the future of business. Philip, we're now in, uh, uh, I think, a new phase of the coronavirus health crisis. Uh, many states are opening up in the great state of Texas. We are now uh, fully open. And over the past year, I think many trends that were percolating around in compliance in 2019 and even early 2020 uh, accelerated greatly uh, during the pandemic. And one of those was um, more reliance on data and greater use of data analytics. Do you think that trend and perhaps some of the others that we saw will uh, continue as we move uh, deeper into the 2020s? Uh, 100%. Absolutely, 100%. You have a, a wonderful section in your in your document um, titled "Operationalizing Compliance Through Digital Transformation," and I think that uh, that sums it up. This this accelerate this realization that we can accelerate uh, digital transformation was one of the key learnings out of 2020, and we saw many industries adopting technology at, at a pace they'd never done before because they had to. Um, but then they found out, actually, we can do this. Um, companies moving, just moving to a work from home and doing it seamlessly without problems and realizing they can do that. Um, enabling people to shop online and pick up from the curbside and implementing nationwide programs almost overnight. And so I think, yes, we will see an acceleration of technology uh, continuing. We will see an increased use of artificial intelligence um, automating many of the mundane tasks and getting used for richer analytics and capabilities like that. I think that creates a unique both opportunity and challenge for the compliance and ethics profession in terms of how can we use artificial intelligence to accelerate and expand our reach within our organizations and elevate greater insights, but also are we ensuring that our company's use of artificial intelligence is being done without bias and being done fairly and ethically, and making sure that we're involved in understanding the algorithms that are being deployed. Um, I think the the reach of, of data, you know, we've talked about the need for data and analytics already, but that is just gonna get more and bigger. We as human beings are being instrumented and monitored more and more. We have smart watches that are monitoring our health and sending all that data off. 
you know, every time we turn on our computers, every website we go to, all of this monitoring is going on as we use systems, how we interact with websites, and all of those signals that we're giving off on not a daily basis, but on a minute-by-minute -minute basis, those signals are being captured and tracked and monitored, which creates obviously privacy risk that we need to make sure we're addressing and monitoring, but also as an ethics and compliance professional, what signals should we be capturing that we can use to help identify where we have opportunity, where we have risk within our businesses, within our supply chains, so that we can actually do a better job um, of enabling the business, right? Are we monitoring social media, for instance, as an ethics and compliance professional, are we listening to what our customers are saying about us on social media around the world? Are we aware that they're talking about one of our suppliers and something going on on the other side of the planet that actually we should know about because it's going to affect our reputation? So I think data is going to be even more important going forward. And then the analytic capabilities that we sit on top of that um, are going to be essential because there's going to be so much data, you've got to distill that down into insights, into something you can act on, not just leave it sitting there as raw data points. Phil, what uh, skills do you see the compliance professional will need into 2020 and beyond? Yeah, I think this is this is a fascinating area because I think this is going to be a big shift. I think the ethics and compliance profession is going to continue to evolve. You know, when we started, it was very much a compliance profession and it's evolved into ethics and compliance. I think culture is knocking on the door. More and more people are talking about culture today and um, and risk. And so does how does this profession evolve into these new opportunities? Because if we don't evolve, we will, as we know, die out and, and become irrelevant. Um, ESG is coming to the fore. And so how do we engage in that conversation and, and secure our role and our ability to impact that. I think the skills we need to get involved in these areas in this new world as we look at the evolution of technology, we need to be technologically aware. Um, we cannot be Luddites, so we need to embrace technology. Easy for me to say because I love technology, but we do need to step into it. Um, if we deny technology, we will fall behind. And so I think uh, technological awareness and understanding. I think the ability to analyze and synthesize information into key insights, and then to be able to tell stories that engage our business peers is gonna be a critical skill set for ethics and compliance. It's not about, do you know the law really well anymore? It's about, can you read all these signals, all this information, and distill it down into a story that engages your business either to highlight for them an opportunity or to identify a risk or just to uh, point out where they need to be applying their focus and to become a true business partner. And that's, that's sort of that last piece is taking these skills of technological awareness and, and implementation to data synthesis to an understanding of culture and human behavior and then being able to take all that and sit down with our business peers and partners and really add value to the business conversation um, so that we are a partner at the table talking about the strategy of the business and where we're going. I think that is the future for the ethics and compliance professional if we choose to grasp it. Philip, what role, if any, do you see for the compliance function in ESG? And, and before you answer that question, I, I forgot to mention, uh, if you can't tell Philip's English and he gave an English history reference there, and if you don't know what a Luddite is, that means you are a Luddite. 
<laughs> Excellent. Um, so ESG, I think um, there's there's been a lot of conversation recently uh, about resilient businesses. Obviously, having just gone through 2020, uh, operational resilience um, is a conversation that people are having. And I think at the core of that is part of what I would call a sustainable business. And sustainable, not in the old-fashioned sense of, you know, how are you consuming power and what are you doing with your plastic waste? I'm talking about sustainability in a much broader sense. Sustainability in terms of even social sustainability. Are you hiring diverse diversity? Are you bringing diverse thought to the table? Do you have a you know diverse leadership? Are you paying equitably? Um, are you um, acting as a great business partner to the society around you? Are you investing in the community? Do you train and educate your employees and elevate people? Do you bring a sort of enriching experiences to your employees and to your partners? And so I think when we look at ESG, the, those three elements are obviously governance is something very central to ethics and compliance, but I think even the environmental and social aspects are all things that as an ethics and compliance professional, we should be asking, how can we impact these um, areas? What are the levers that maybe they're not ours to own and, and drive, but we certainly can influence and we can certainly provide visibility. We can start tracking these metrics and monitoring these numbers and looking for um, where we have gaps in the organization. I think failing to embrace ESG will actually be a detriment to the ethics and compliance professional if we don't jump into it. And I think it's all part of this journey of how do we create highly aligned, purpose-driven organizations that have a long-term sustainable, that they will grow and thrive, whether it's through adversity or through good times, and they'll do it because they have a highly engaged workforce with a shared set of values, a common purpose that are acting ethically, are treating the environment well, are acting with social responsibility, and have good governance and controls in place. Philip, unfortunately, we are closing near the end of our time for this episode, but I have a special bonus question uh, that I've always wanted to ask you. Uh, what brought you to America? Um, what brought me to America was Marvel comic books, hot dogs, and uh, chocolate milkshake. Um, as a child, uh, my parents moved to Italy and my dad was working for NATO, so I got to visit an American army base. I used to love going down there. We'd go down once a month and I could pick up a whole bunch of uh, comic books from the thrift store and we'd stop and have uh, hot dogs and uh, chocolate milkshake at the uh, cafeteria before heading home. And so as an adult, I was always looking for an opportunity to go and experience the real thing. What is real America, not the America I'd experienced on an army base? And uh, when the opportunity arose, I, I jumped at it. And so that's that's how I ended up here. And I haven't gone back, as you can tell. Did you, did you start out in Houston or did you, when you initially moved uh, after university, uh, where, uh, where did you start and what was your first job? Um, so my first job was in a little town called Watford, um, outside, just outside London. And it was actually as an actuary, um, which we were doing uh, estimation of how long people will live for. It was valuing pension schemes. And after doing that for 18 months, I decided that this was not how I wanted to spend my life. 
and these computer things that we were starting to use to actually do that modeling and estimation were far more interesting. So that's when I made the leap and uh, started getting into software, which then gave me the opportunity to travel around the world, uh, see a bunch of different countries, and eventually made it to actually Houston um, for a couple of years, and I met my wife there. And uh, then after a little bit of more traveling, we came back to Denver, Colorado, and haven't moved since. You know, I knew if I just asked you enough questions, there'd be a woman involved. So um, <laughs> good to know. Well, Philip, unfortunately, we are uh, near the end of our time, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted more information on yourself or Conversant or perhaps uh, continue a dialogue with you. How can they do so? Uh, I would love to have a dialogue with anybody about anything we've just talked about because I'm passionate about all of it. Um, please do reach out to me by email. It's probably the easiest. And it's pw, my initials, at conversant.com, C-O-N-V-E-R-C-E-N-T. I'd love to have a chat. Philip, this has been a ton of fun. I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to uh, visit with me, and I look forward to, as always, continuing the conversation. Thanks, Tom. I really appreciate it, and uh, thanks for all the great questions, and love talking about this stuff, so I really appreciate your time. This is Tom Fox. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Compliance Handbook. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and tune in next week. Until then, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks again, and I look forward to visiting with you again.